Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. I'm Dr. Bruno Fernandes, and today I have the pleasure of having with us Dr. Gail Siegel, research professor at the State University of New York at Buffalo. How's it going, Dr. Siegel? Great, Bruno. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure is all mine and of our listeners as well. Uh, so let's uh, start with, with like, talking about you. Like, so what was your background? Like, what, what did you study? And like, basically your journey that brought you to where you are today. The journey that brought me here today. Well, I started out um, always interested in science. And as I grew up and got along, I got very interested in small uh, sort of uh, microscopic size uh, objects. So I would go and, um, you know, look at things under the microscope, read as much as I could about cells. And when I got to college, it became very clear that I wanted to go into research, and especially something like cancer research. And so what I did was I went on to graduate school at um, Albany Medical College, and then went on to do a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Rochester in neuroscience and started to study retinoblastoma. And that's been like a common theme of my research starting from my postdoctoral fellowship to today. Um, I eventually went on to uh, take on a faculty spot at the University at Buffalo, which is, I've now just got my 20 year pin. So I just, I've hit 20 years at the University at Buffalo um, doing Congrats. research there. Thank you on mm -hmm. retinoblastoma and all different aspects, everything from um, we did some tumor studies early on, tumor formation studies to uh, things like differentiating the cells, getting them to become more mature cells, looking at cancer stem cells and chemo resistance and new drug therapies, which is what we're working on today. Yeah, so retinoblastoma is a, it's a, quite a popular topic. Like at our pro, at our podcast, we had a few guests already invited, like to talk about it. It's a topic that I'm I'm particularly passionate about as well. So let's spend some time talking about your research. I'm I'm particularly curious about that. Uh, so chemo resistance. Like I saw you, that you have some uh, some 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 research projects going on about that. Like I mean, so because just to can we bring the, the audience like up to speed like so we use chemotherapy like to treat like some cases of retinoblastoma but there are some cases that become resistant to it so uh so i believe your research is like i mean how to deal with those uh, uh stubborn cells is that it yeah so we have done some work um one of the projects where we were looking at cancer stem cells some of those there are little subpopulations in the tumor of these stem-like cells that have um, that are able to resist chemotherapy. The chemotherapy just does not work on them. And all you need is maybe one cell like that to break away and to form a new tumor somewhere else in the body. And so that can be very dangerous. So you wanna get rid of any cells that are resistant to chemotherapy. Um, so once we, we saw that and that that was going on, um, we've started to do some more like personalized therapy, looking at different drug targets and trying to target uh, cells that, that could be involved in tumor formation. So that's one of the, one of the things that we've been working on. And, and how you personalize your, the, the treatment? You do like a biopsy and then you study the, the cells from the, the tumor for that specific patient and then you choose the, the, the correct therapy? 
that's one approach. Um, that will, you know, in, and that will be on an individual basis. There's another thing that where you can look at, let's say there's a marker, like for example, we, we looked at HER2, that's a breast cancer drug target, but it turns out that some retinoblastoma tumors have HER2 protein on the surface and that the drug can bind to that and kill those cells. So we have some of those types of uh, targets going. We're always looking for new targets. Um, ideally, they would hit as many patients as possible and not just one here and one there. You know, you want to try to um, personalize it, but yet be, have it be something that can apply to a large, larger population than just one person. I think eventually there may be, you may be able to drill down and get, you know, the, the one person that has some sort of odd uh, mutation or odd uh, non-typical type of retinoblastoma where you could find a target and make a, make a drug target and make a, a drug against that target. And there's a lot of things to look for, I guess, right? So like it, it helps if, if you know what like you're, you're expecting to, to find. So when, when you start searching for targets, like do you prioritize the targets that we already have a drug for? Or... Well, that, yeah, a drug target that already exists and is known and, hey, is even FDA approved, like the HER2 uh, has drugs that are already FDA approved um, against it. So um, that's always a benefit because, you know, the drug pipeline, you always have to wait for, um, you know, the approvals to go through. And it's much more streamlined if you have a drug that can already be used or, or at least maybe you can even make a derivative of a drug that's already being used. But we're not opposed to having a new target. We've got some, you know, that we're working on now um, that, you know, they may come out and may end up being uh, good targets, but we just don't know yet. So, you know, can continue to work on that. And is it something still uh, purely experimental or do you work with like actual patients and you know, like and clinicians, like they have a patient and they send you their cells and it's like, oh, find a target for this, this kid. Um, right now, we're not using uh, patient samples that are coming directly from a clinic. I do have access to archival specimens that are in pathology labs. Um, so I tend to use those. Um, I also have a lot of retinoblastoma cells, uh, different types of cell lines in my lab, and they're in the liquid nitrogen tanks frozen down. And those we've been studying um, they're good ways of studying and you, you, you can look at live cells versus tissue that's been preserved from a tumor from 20 years ago, for example. And some of those you developed yourself, is that right? Um, there is a non-retinoblastoma mm -hmm. cell that I developed called R28. Mm -hmm. And that's a retinal precursor type cell that does not form tumors in animals. Um, and that one, those cells are used for sort of in vitro drug testing and gene expression studies and things like that. Um, that at the time, my goal was to make a cell that was not retinoblastoma, that was a little bit more normal. Um, they're from the rat and they've been commercialized. People can um, use them for their studies. I'm always happy whenever people are able to use those cells uh, for different studies. Yeah, that's cool. We, I, I, you know, during my days in the lab, I, I, I remember working with like some retinoblastoma cell lines, the Wary, the the yes. Y seven nine, yeah, the classic those. ones, yep, right? So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we've got those in the freezer. <laughs> and uh, you have to, I mean, you have to watch, take care of them because, um, you know, during this pandemic. Um, you know, there are a lot of supply issues and all those things are stored in, a, in liquid nitrogen tanks and you've got to make sure they get filled up. Those tanks are filled every month. 
So no matter what's going on, we had to, you know, keep the cells going and keep the nitrogen tanks filled. And fortunately, my student and I have been uh, keeping that going this whole time. Yeah, like this, this is the thing that like outsiders don't realize, right? Like how sometimes it's a and it's it's a pretty low tech, you know, like the, the the job of an actual researcher, you know, like I mean, it's just like make sure the tank is. Yes, is that was filled. really yeah. That was the entire my entire concern this whole pandemic. You know, we've had to shut the lab down sometimes, and you know, keep things turn off the equipment. But in, the one thing that I always had to make sure of that tank those tanks have to be filled up. I've got cells in there from 1967. Yeah. And I didn't put them in there, but, you know, they, mm -hmm. I don't want, they're like a museum, you know, you'd lose yeah. everything. So I very, that's always mm -hmm. my concern. <laughs> uh, so still on your research, like, so yeah. we, we've talked about, like, you know, overcoming mechanisms for like a chemical resistance. And you also have some uh, research projects on understanding how the actual uh, mechanism of metastasis occur in retinal blastoma patients. And obviously, like, I mean, how to stop that. So any color you'd like to share on that? Well, we, um, one thing we've looked at recently is, and I think paper came out and was it 2019 or something, where we looked at adjacent to the tumor, because you wonder, you know, when you look, you, you know, look at the pathology of these tumors, you see, okay, obviously there's a tumor, but what's happening next to the tumor? You know, how is it spreading? And what, you know, are these markers there adjacent? And, you know, we've done some studies that show that the neighboring cells that you might not think are part of the tumor are not totally normal. And that's important to know because, you know, you want your treatments to reach everything and you don't want whatever is, you know, becoming or is turning into something. Uh, you want that to be stopped if you can, if you can stop it. Yeah, it's the, the, the soil, right? So it's not only the seeds, like the soil, like it needs to be amenable for the tumor to spread and eventually evade as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's never a good thing. You, you know, like I say, you only need a couple of cells here or there to spread. And so that's, you know, really the reason we want to try to address the whole tumor and, and all mm -hmm. the cells that could possibly result in spreading it. Cool. All right, let's lighten up the conversation a bit yeah. before we okay. lose our audience. <laughs> we yeah. Stay with going. us, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> if you start going down that rabbit hole, like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. The other thing is we've been slowed down. The pandemic has slowed us down a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's just we're hoping to get things ramped up again, but it's it's been a very slow progress over the last couple of years. I can imagine. Yeah. So musical microscope like and you do yes. have quite an interesting uh, outside hobby uh you play the clarinet yes uh, i do and like how did you happen to bridge like those two things <laughs> like the clarinet and, and like pathology yeah yeah so um <laughs> so i i in my house i have one room that's devoted to music i have a music I, it was a music room mm -hmm. and i have a clarinet group and before the pandemic we used to rehearse in my music room and um that was all it was when the pandemic hit i had just done a whole bunch of experiments i had a lot of slides to look at pathology slides and I had shut the lab. This is March of 2020. Lab is closed. I thought for just a couple of few weeks, I brought home a small microscope, not my big fancy one, just a small microscope with a little camera and the slides. And I set it up in the music room and I was able to do some slide analysis and photography in the music room. Um, and so I, I ended up calling it the musical microscope room. So then mm -hmm. what happened is 
also being alone at home, um, I would take my clarinet out and I would try these apps where you can play along with yourself three or four parts together. And I would record them in the, in that room. And I would always, I always make sure that the microscope is in frame so you can see the clarinet and the microscope <laughs> when I'm playing and um, still doing that. I'm st I post it on social media and people get a kick out of it. <laughs> I call it the musical microscope room. But you, you, do you, do you actually like look, at microscopes while you're playing, like just like. <laughs> uh, no, they're not at the same time. I usually have the microscope in the background behind mm -hmm. me, you know, and I try to make sure it's there so people know, you know, this is the the um, musical microscope room, so they know. Cool. It, it, that's. I mean, we we're gonna talk about like the life of a researcher, you know, like I mean, what it takes, and one of the one of the things that's super important like i mean it's it's, it's for for people to have outside hobbies you know like and, yes. and i think that exemplifies that yeah it's so different you know it's totally different from the lab and it's just something fun it makes me happy and i enjoy it and you need those things not just during pandemic but all the time you have to be able to do other things yeah no true that for the sake of mental health like it's good to disconnect and and have activities that are completely different from your day exactly. job exactly yeah i am not thinking about retinoblastoma while i'm playing music it's a totally <laughs> different thing yeah and usually that's when insights happen right like yeah when you, when yeah a lot of my best ideas things, are <laughs> yeah i'm driving along the highway and an idea will the idea for those r28 cells came to me while I was driving along the highway, going somewhere, and, oh, what if I did this? Yeah, and yeah. and on that, you you actually have a lot of time, right? Because you you seem to commute like a long yes, way to I work. Yes, I have a very long commute. I live about over an hour between my house and my lab. So, and especially on a day like today when we're having a storm, it can be challenging to do that commute. Yeah. But fortunately, even before the pandemic, I've been doing uh, remote work. You know, I always try to have at least a day where I work from home and you're always working on manuscripts and grants mm -hmm. and, you know, di different things you can do from home. So thank goodness for the technology. Yeah. Uh, all right, switching topics again. Uh, I, I, I really want to know more about uh, another initiative that I'm involved on, and, and it has a quite a similar goal to, uh, to a podcast, which is like to make science more accessible. Uh, so it is the, the Rochester like in, in New York March for Science. Uh, I'll, I'll let you explain to us yeah. like oh, what exactly that to. is. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to tell you about the Rochester, New York March for Science. Okay. So um, it started back in early, like February of 2017. Um, a group of us thought, um, you know, we really need, There's a, there seems to be a lot of anti-science sentiment out there. And uh, we would like to you know, bring science to the people. The, the more education and the more outreach that we can do, the better. So um, a few of us got together and one of the founding members, uh, we are a nonprofit, non-political organization. So, you know, we don't endorse candidates or get into politics or anything like that. But our goal is to do scientific outreach to the community and we're in Rochester, New York. And what we normally do is that we, um, we do different events. We had a big rat. We've had a couple of really big rallies where a couple thousand people came and we went to the street and we marched and we held signs, March for Science. Um, we had expos where we had people demo demonstrations set up where people could come and look at different 
types of experiments and different uh, technologies. We've had, and then we started to move, now we're on a little bit of a smaller scale where we go, we've gone to um, farmer's markets. We set up a table with a demonstration. Here's a physics experiment or something like that. And it's usually kid friendly. Kids come up to it and try things out. We've gone to libraries and done, you know, things in libraries. Once again, the pandemic has, uh, we haven't really had many events. We did some farmer's markets when the COVID numbers were a little lower and then we had to kind of stop. But um, these are the things that we, we try to do and just bring the science to the people and make it more accessible. Mm -hmm. And uh, is it like biomedical science only or any? Any, any science. Mm -hmm. We have people doing, you know, conservation. We have, you know, all different types of science. Um, we don't, we do not, um, you know, limit it to any one particular type. And those like outdoor initiatives on farmers markets or fairs, uh, how's the reaction? Like, do people seem interested? Do they oh, come know more yeah, about it? Yeah, they love it. They love it. Um, they come up and, you know, we have a sign out, you know, March for Science. And we, we have little, you know, stickers and bumper stickers and things they can, and posters. And they come and look at that. And then they look, you know, a lot of the, the demonstrations are hands-on. So, okay, if you mix these two chemicals together, they turn a different color, mm. you know, something like that. Or here's a microscope. You can look at, you know, what's in the pond water. Uh, one guy had this really cool big uh, lens that he used to harness the sun. Then the sun on a, on a little um, frying pan with unpopped popcorn in it. And he was able to pop the popcorn hmm. using the sun and a big lens. You know, it's just kind of cool things that get people interested and, and they can see, you know, the value of science in their everyday lives. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I mean, I saw that one of the, the, the missions of the, it is to improve like inclusiveness and accessibility, you know, like to, yeah, so uh, careers. I am, in the... Yes, I'm the diversity officer mm -hmm. um, of the, on the executive board of the March for Science. And yes, we always want to be inclusive. Whenever we've had an expo, we make sure that we have people, you know, checking and make sure it's, it makes sure it's accessible to people, you know, on wheels or people. We had braille guides for people, you know, we tried to get as much as we could so that it was accessible to everyone. That's interesting. Uh, and I, I guess the part of the March for Science is it's not only to get people more familiar with what science is, but also to what being a scientist entails. Like, is that right? Uh, right. I mean, we need examples. You want to, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you see a scientist who looks like you, you might feel, hey, maybe I could do that, mm -hmm. you know, versus in the olden days. You know, you, you didn't see women as scientists, people of color as scientists, you just didn't see it. And it makes you think, well, maybe there's some reason why I can't do that. But really, we want to be welcoming. We want everyone to feel like uh, they can be a part of this. Yeah, and I guess there's still, I mean, it's changing, like, but like, there's still this stereotype of what the scientist should look like, right? And like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it no, is, I've had it, that experience. I When I first uh, opened my lab at Buffalo, there was a, a salesperson came and he, he asked me, and I'm, I'm looking for the person in charge here. I said, that's me. No, no, no I'm looking for your boss. I said, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm the head of the lab here. My boss is the chairman who's downtown somewhere, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, I still run into things like that once in a while. Yeah. And I remember also when I, when I used to be a, a researcher as well, you know, like I mean, it would 
tell people like, oh, like you're too tan to be a researcher. <laughs> I would think like, you know, you're supposed to have like thick glasses. Like, I mean, why does a ghost and you know, just, just stay like in a basement lab all day, you know? So, <laughs> right. Or, or if you're a woman, you, ha you can't wear nice fashions or you can't look a certain way or have tattoos or, you know, everyone's mm -hmm. got an idea of what, what a scientist, but uh, you'll see on Twitter, there's some, I think there's a hashtag of this is what a scientist looks like or something. Mm -hmm. People put pictures of themselves to show, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to look a certain way or be a certain way. And uh, like bridging into the next topic there, is it yeah. something that your, your, your memoir tries to accomplish <laughs> as well? Like, I mean, your book and... Yeah, yeah, the memoir was really, it's a story of just from the very beginning, you know, all the way up through school and some of the trials and tribulations that you have to go through in order to, you know, be a scientist or work as a scientist. And you, you do run into things, you know, I mean, the book has stories about... Uh, someone trying to sabotage my experiments mm -hmm. and um, it just all, all kinds of things like that. You never know what you're going to run into and you just have to really be resilient and bounce back is what I, I always tell people, you know, the students in my lab, I, you know, you, you have a plan, you want to go from point A to point B, but it's, it's usually not a straight line. They, oh, okay, well, I have to wait. Now I have to do this differently or this, I didn't pass this exam or whatever it is. As long as you just kind of keep going in the right direction and moving forward, um, you can do a lot, you know, and, and overcome a lot of challenges. Yeah. You know, I don't know if my postdoctoral advisor died when I was working in her lab. That was a huge uh, challenge. Mm. And um, she was in a car accident. And Sorry that was, a, that. yeah, yeah, that was a terrible time where, you know, we had to put her poster together with a group, you know, we pulled together, we presented her um, poster at the mm -hmm. neuroscience meeting and people were finding out there that she had died. It was just really, mm. it was one of those things that you, no one can prepare you for that. Yeah. And, um, but then it makes you strong to be able to try to, you know, to get through these things and be able to, um, then other things seem like small potatoes, you know, oh, okay, I didn't, this paper wasn't accepted. Oh, okay, I'll just send it somewhere else now. You know, they're no. thing, you just put it in perspective, you know. Yeah, and I guess you get used to failure also, right? Like, I mean, uh, in a good way, you know, because yeah, I mean, the purpose science, of an, yeah. yeah, the purpose of an experiment is what is to figure out what to do the next experiment, you know, yeah. you don't assume it's going to work the first time, you know. And, and like, it, part of research it's like to keep failing so you 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 tinker right and then eventually gets to something better but you won't know what it's what it's right until you you know you you discover where it's wrong right yeah and, and you need like, a certain attitude because i mean i had people ask me oh your experiment didn't work how does how does that set you back and you can't think that way it doesn't set me back it's setting me forward to know yeah. what to do next. But if yeah, you have the other down, mindset, eh? yeah, if you have a don't have the right mindset, this the this um, you know scientific research isn't for you. If you can't mm -hmm. deal with the, oh, it's not going to work every time. You know, if you don't have the patience. Yeah, and also like the the exploratory nature of research, right? Like I mean, to trying to figure out different ways of doing things or a different way of looking at things, you know, and then. I mean, you're bound to fail, right? If you if you start like doing things different than like the, the the consensus, right? But that's also how eventually you know, like you're gonna find something completely new. Right. I mean that that her two study, I you know, we the there was a paper that said retinoblastoma does not have her two, but they'd only used one antibody to check for it. 
when I use different antibodies, I found it. So you can't always go by, you know, one paper or one thing that someone says, you can challenge it, you can check it, and sometimes you might find something different. Indeed. By the way, like I mean, the title of uh, uh, Dr. Siegel's book, it's Academania, My Life in the Trenches of Biomedical Research. There you go. It is available at Amazon, so you can download it to your Kindle. So it's really not that hard like, I mean, for you to get access like, to that. And if you ever think about like, having a career into research, particularly like uh, academic research, it's always good to know what, what it takes and the perspective from an insider. And uh from I haven't read the whole book yet, but like I mean, I've, I've I, I it, it strikes me as a very you know, like light lighthearted book and yeah, quite it doesn't, easy yeah. to read and like it doesn't go into also. extreme detail. It's for the layperson. It was meant you know more for that like a memoir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I was it was a very therapeutic for me to write it and just kind of get it all down. And then it turns out mm -hmm. other people were interested in reading it, so very good. Was it your first like non-scientific uh, writing? First, I think it's the first. Mm -hmm. Well, I've done like little things like letters to the editor, and you know, but mm -hmm. this is the first real book mm -hmm. um, that I wrote and published on Amazon, and it was very exciting. I've gotten a lot of good feedback on it, and um, it just kind of takes you through just starting from kindergarten and the very first experiments yeah. that I did on the ground, you know, and mm -hmm. all the way through to the present time. I'll have to do volume two next or something. Yeah, that, that would be my question there. If there is any second, you know, like. Yeah, well, you know, I stopped at a certain point because you don't want to put things in books that might get you in trouble with where you are at the moment, you know, kind of thing. So I just yeah. stayed with things that happened in the past and, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll revisit and when I retire, I'll, I'll have more to say maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward for that day, you know, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but it's good. A lot of good people out there, wonderful experiences. I, it's really been a great career. And I, I, you know, I would encourage people to to explore that if they're interested. Cool. Uh, so, Dr. Singer, we are coming to an end. So is there anything that we didn't cover yet that you would like to share, like with our audience? Any um, final words of advice for new people? Well, I, you know, I do want to thank, I want to thank the sponsors, the people that have kept the lab going during the mm -hmm. pandemic. Uh, my lab is supported by the Hearing Health Foundation and by the Developmental Studies Hybridoma Bank. And I want to thank them. They have stood by us through the pandemic, given us time extensions so that we can continue to keep the lab going. It's been very important um, to have that. Oh, that's that's very good technology like to support like research and achieve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> cool. So uh, I won't take you. I don't want to take much more of your time. Once again, like thank you very much for accepting our invitation. You know, it was a it was a pleasure chatting uh, with you. And uh, congratulations for everything you've done so far. And and good luck on uh, the projects that you. Uh, continue to be involved on. Uh, we hope good things come out of this. Thanks, Bruno. It's <laughs> been fun. Thank you so much. All right. Goodbye, everyone. To the next. And that concludes today's episode of the Broad Eye Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening.